1: brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl
0: Arkell from the Better Reading podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Charlene Carr, welcome to Better Reading.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So Charlene's in Canada. I'm in San Francisco. I mean, the world is getting smaller, right?
2: Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Charlene spent much of her childhood creating Elaborate, multifaceted storylines for her dolls and reading under the blankets with the flashlight when she was supposed to be asleep. I think so many people in our community have confessed to me that they were such avid readers and that's mm-hmm. what they did. Uh, Charlene's also a bit of a nomad. She's lived in four countries and seven Canadian provinces. After working an array of mostly writing re- writing-related jobs, she decided the time had come to focus exclusively on her true love novel writing. She's written a book, it's called Hold My Girl. Um, It's her 10th novel. And she recently received a Canada Council for the Arts grant to revise her next novel. Well, congratulations.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, well, you actually, um, you don't look old enough to have done all those things. But (laughs) (laughs) Let's delve into your career. So tell me firstly, where you were brought
2: up, where you grew up, and then why it is you started moving. Uh, so I was raised in Toronto for the most part. Uh just before I was 15, my parents moved me to New Brunswick, which in a a very small town called Riverview. Um, and so I graduated from high school there and wanted out. (laughs) Uh and I didn't actually go that far. I went to college for a year in Prince Rhode Island and then a couple of the other provinces doing French programs, intensive programs. So I lived in British Columbia, I lived in Quebec. Um, then I moved back to New Brunswick, finished my degree. During that, I also moved to England and Poland mm. <laughs> for small stints, you know. You sound here. like an Australian. <laughs> <There. You laughs> Just sound all like... moving around.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we move around so much. But I think you're right. I think Can- Canadians move around a lot as well, don't they?
2: Some do, yeah. yeah. I also know lots of people. Who, my husband, for example, um, you know, he was born and raised in Nova Scotia. He lived in New Brunswick for a little while, which isn't very far away. Newfoundland isn't very far away. Uh, yeah and so I think you asked how that led to my writing as well
0: yeah well firstly where where was the longest you lived I just I'm trying to work out the influences that that absolutely that so
2: in. I mean Toronto was 15 years mm-hmm. uh, or almost 15 years and then the longest I've lived outside of that would be Nova Scotia mm-hmm. um I first moved here in 2007, but then I had about four and a half years in Newfoundland. So Mm -hmm. I'd say my biggest influences are certainly Nova Scotia and Ontario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As far as, you know, forming me. (laughs) Mm. Did you ever go to Australia? No, I haven't. I'd love to one day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay. So you've Tell me what, how your career panned out before you decided that you are going to write. So what did you do? What did you study at, at school? Mm-hmm. Um, and was it that you always had the urge, like, you know, a story in your head the whole time?
2: Um, from when I was a child, being an author, being a writer is always something that I've wanted to do. Now, I never really thought that it would be the main thing. It was always, I'll be a teacher and an author. I'll be a social worker and an author, a veterinarian and an author. Um, and so I went to school, I studied English literature. I have a BA and an MA in English literature, and then a bachelor of journalism, which of course relates to writing as well. Um, and I worked an array of jobs, as I said, uh, the one that really transformed my focus into writing was I actually quit, um, a job that I was working in that was giving me a ton of stress, sold my house so I would have a safety net and decided to start a communications business with the goal of, with all the wonderful free time I would have on my own schedule. Yeah, right, <laughs> <Writing>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, when I was starting out, I was probably working 60 to 70 hours a week to make ends meet and, you know, mm-hmm. trying not to touch that nest egg. Um, but eventually I did start... Uh, you know, finding good enough contracts that I was able to work regular hours and sometimes even less the it would there would be a big ebb and flow. I was doing um facilitation most of the time. Um, and so yeah, I finished my first novel novel during that time. I had started it okay. ten years previous
0: <laughs> what what I find and what our listeners um want to know, I mean, you know, authors, by the time they come to me, well, You know, they've done it, it's published and they're here talking about it. But that's not the process, is it? It's so, well, I mean, you know, there's one, writing and the discipline of writing. There's the idea, right, Mm -hmm. the storyline. And then there's getting published, which is as big as the other two, right? Yes. Tell me about that. Well,
2: I'm saying I finished writing that first novel when I uh, went into business for myself, but I had started it 10 years previous. Yeah. So there is a lot um, that goes into that. And so when you say getting published, do you mean those first novels or Hold My Girl? Because there's a very different process.
0: Okay, now let's start with the first one. So we'll talk about Hold My Girl as well.
2: All right. So I had sent that manuscript out to a couple of local publishers and I got really lovely feedback, but nobody took it on. Was it fiction? It was fiction. Yeah, it was a novel. Uh, mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't really know what to do from there. I knew that for bigger publishers, you needed an agent. I had no idea how to get an agent. I, because of my studies and my focus, I'd never really read anything but very literary fiction, the type that is studied in universities. And I knew that what I was writing at the time wasn't quite that. I thought it was very good. I thought it had value. I thought that there would be readers out who wanted it, but You know, I just, I didn't know. I'd never read any Kristen Hanna or Leah Moriarty or Jodi Picot. I'd read all the very literary, you know, winning awards type of writers. Um, And then a friend of mine, this was around 2013, he knew about self-publishing and it was just really taking off at that time. And coming from a literary, very academic community, I was kind of like, no, 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 I can't do that because especially in the beginning, there was this idea that it was... I mean, for lack of a better word, that it was for hacks, for people Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. couldn't find a publisher. And he, you know, knew a lot more about it than me and said, like, yes, there's some books out there that self-published like that, but there's a lot that are very quality books and that are just as valued. And so I wrote a totally new book with that in mind because my 10-year labor of love baby, it couldn't be my test project. Um yeah. And so I started studying, uh, all about self-publishing. I started studying the craft of writing more. I started reading, um, I guess what you would call commercial or genre fiction, but a lot of the stuff that was hitting the bestseller list that I'd never read before. And I kind of realized like, Oh, this is more what I'm writing. I'm not writing this, you know, more slow paced, very contemplative metaphorical fiction that I spent my life reading. And It was really exciting and really fun, and, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was reaching
0: readers. (laughs) Such an interesting discovery, Mm -hmm. you know, that you discovered that about yourself, that here you are. I mean, it's, you know, genre is such a big topic. I mean, funnily enough, only last night I was talking about genre with our community um, because we were talking about the romance genre, and people Mm -hmm. tend to pigeonhole that That genre and say that, you know, it has no value because it's, you know, it's considered commercial fiction, but it's also feel good and whatever. But I was certain that our community don't just read one genre. So I asked them last night live on Facebook and I was dead right. They read across all genres.
2: And I think the thing is genre is just to kind of try to categorize, but when it comes to a, a quality book, it can be any genre. I absolutely. mean, look at C.S. Lewis, look at J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, well, it's it's all fantasy. Sto-
0: <laughs> it's all about story, right? hmm Yeah. And whatever that, that category, that story. But also, you know, too, I mean, you know, we all know that genres was made up
2: really. It's a marketing term in yeah, a way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, back it, to you. To give people an idea of where where they're looking yeah. and what they're going to want to find. And I read across all genres too. There are some that I tend to go more toward, but... Certainly, if if the quality of the writing is there, and the story, and the characterization, mm-hmm. it could be about anything. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah. So, I, as I mentioned, you know, I was finding readers, I was connecting to them, and I was really enjoying it. And so, I turned that book that I had written specifically for self-publishing into a series of standalones. And then after that, I decided to publish that 10-year baby, (laughs) self-publishing, and then I did a trilogy. And as I was learning more and more, um, I was realizing how much this is a business, if you're going to. And in the community, it's usually called independent publishing rather than self. Um, And it's because you become basically a small independent publisher, and you've got to do everything for yourself or hire it out. And If that's not something you're inclined to, which I wasn't, I mean, I think I was doing okay at it, but it was draining me Mm. and it was taking away my energy and my spark for writing.
0: Well, because what you do then is you have all the back end, like the distribution, the mail, the how do you connect with your readers, the discovery. I mean, there's so much. Advertising,
2: marketing, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it was really a lot. And so when I finally became a mother, I realized that I just didn't have the mental or emotional bandwidth to be an independent publisher, an author, and a present mother. And something needed to go. <laughs> and so, you know, I so couldn't it wasn't get rid of the, the writing. It wasn't going to be my baby. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so we'll I... keep the baby. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Um, so I specifically wrote "Hold My Girl" with the goal of finding an agent and finding a publisher. And so that was a whole new journey.
0: <laughs> okay, I want to talk about that. So do you think you wrote it, like even the storyline, that you wrote it for a different audience, a different purpose? Tell me what the difference oh. was in writing your others compared to writing Hold My
2: Girl. I think, I certainly, I think it's a very similar audience for my other books. And so the main difference really was making sure that there was a hook that there was something that in a sentence or two could get people really interested and really intrigued, you know, to get past that slush pile. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of agents, as I did my research, I learned it it's not unusual for them to get anywhere from hundred to 300 queries a day. And mm-hmm. so they might not read the whole thing. I needed to come up with an idea that, and, and it, and it worked a lot of times when I tell the idea of, Oh my girl, I'll say the first, you know, two sentences of that elevator pitch and people will go, <gasps> <laughs> so why don't I mean, you share that with was us now. absolutely so it's a dual narrative novel about two women who go through IVF and learn a couple of years later that there has been a switch and their eggs were switched and so we follow the complications and um, emotional trial that ensues as they both try to become the mother of the one surviving child so I think that was that was the biggest difference in writing and just thinking about the marketing aspect of it um, in the beginning mm-hmm. and how I would market it. And I and I didn't think about that for any of my other novels. I just had a story and I wanted to tell it. Um, and this is, and, you know, in, in a way, this was the same. I had a story and I wanted to tell it, but I just made sure that it had that angle as well.
0: Do you think having a child would you have been able to write that story without having
2: had a child yourself? Absolutely not. And the yeah. inspiration from it actually came from um, my own experience of having my daughter. So I've been struggling with infertility for over 10 years now. Mm-hmm. and five years ago I a little I guess, yeah, five years ago I had my daughter via IVF um and when she was born so for those listeners out there I'm a mixed race black woman and she emerged visibly white and in the first few months I really couldn't see any of myself in her features and so I was genuinely concerned and genuinely um uh, right. yeah just worried that there might have been a switch at the clinic mm-hmm. and There were a lot of questions and a lot of fears that prompted uh, during that time. And I didn't really delve into them because it was just too much. Mm -hmm. And so very thankfully, around the time she was eight months old, and then completely by the time she was a year, her features shifted. I could see myself in her. I had no fear. And that was right around the time I decided to start my new novel because I decided I'd taste the first year of her life off. And yeah, when that idea came to me and I started thinking about Um, the fears that I had only touched upon before, most specifically, what would I owe to this other woman out there who'd gone through all these infertility struggles the way I had and whose biological daughter I was raising if there had actually been a switch? And so that's what I used to develop uh, the two characters in Hold My Girl. Mm. And I think it's very universal um, too because motherhood is such... Uh, a theme for all of us, whether we're mothers or whether it's just the relationship that we've had with our own mothers or if our mother was absent. I mean, it's a, I think everyone can find something to relate to in the question of what makes a mother.
0: Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have children. um, But, you know, my mother died uh, last year. And I, you know, I had a You know, good relationship with her. We were migrants. You know, Um, she's Lebanese. My listeners would already know this. I I speak about my um, heritage a lot. Um, You know, and things were tough. You know, she she had the immigration problem and raising the six kids and not speaking the language that she knew. But you know, a really big, a big full life. She was such a matriarch you know she was definitely by far the head of the family and that has been a big loss you know so there is so much tied up with motherhood on so many levels yeah Mm. and also the responsibility okay so okay you've got you're writing the book you've Mm -hmm. got and you've got a one-year-old I mean this isn't (laughs) finding the time to write the book yeah
2: yeah And that as well, I mean, I know you talk about the story behind the story and I I love talking about that aspect of it because when I was writing my first novel over those 10 years, the reason it took so long is that I had in my mind that in order to write, I needed this beautiful stretch of time, like four to seven hours where I could just sit down and me in the page and I needed the right moment and attitude and mindset. And it was actually doing NanoRIMO, probably around 2009, 2010. Are you familiar with NanoRIMO? Oh, okay, I'm not sure. if Maybe it hasn't made its way to Australia. No, tell um, us. Yeah, so it happens in November every year. And it's um, this big community, like tons of writers you can sign up. And the goal is to write 50,000 words in a month.
0: Oh, I have heard of it. I didn't know that's what it was called. Right.
2: Okay. Yeah. So I did that and it was just mind blowing to me because in order to reach that, I mean, you can't do that and live a life and have these long stretches of time to write. So I learned to write in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, um, and just sit down and get the words on the page and not worry if they're perfect and not worry about editing or if yesterday's scene flows perfectly in today's scene, just getting those words down. And so I did that with the book, um, the first book that I wrote specifically for self-publishing, and that was a real eye-opener. And where I was in my life uh, after that, I actually did have a lot of time to sit down and write. And so I started having these big board count goals of, you know, 23, 2,500 words a day, because that was kind of, my job at that point. Um, I wasn't able to work because of health reasons, like work outside the house. Um, And so, you know, I was focused on my fertility and I was focused on my writing. And um, then when I was writing with a one-year-old, obviously that was impossible. And I remember initially thinking, okay, I'll do like a 1200 word kind goal. That should be reasonable. And I was failing every time I sat Mm. down to write and it was really demoralizing. And I just thought, back to that first NaNoWriMo experience, um, and realized anything I can get down matters. So I made myself a goal of 300 words, four days a week, which sounds like nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it adds up. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of Hold My Girl was written in 15 to 20 minute spurts and just, you know, some some days I only got 150 words, but as mm. long as I sat down four days a week, I called myself a success. And there were other days where, you know, my daughter happened to nap longer than expected and I did get a thousand words or, you know, I decided to write a little bit in the evening and I got a burst of inspiration and I stayed up a little later and <laughs> got some some mm. good writing in. Yeah, so mm. it wasn't simple and it wasn't easy, but to anyone out there who thinks, you know, you need time to write, anyone I think I shouldn't say anyone almost anyone at least I don't know everybody's life but almost everyone could find time to write 300 words four days a week Mm -hmm. if that's what you want to do
0: Mm -hmm. Mm, that's a really good tip I mean I hear so many stories but you know too um it's practice as well, like whether those words ever make the page or make the book or not, it's really about using the tools, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. we often um, talk about practice in relation to music, you know, guitar and violin and piano and whatever, but not to writing. But Mm -hmm. I think too, I mean, you know, I mean you're still young and you've got way more books in you, but, you know, if you to look back on your career so far, all of it was practice to get to where you are now. Oh, absolutely.
2: I mean, you learn from every book Mm. and you grow and you figure out your own style and you figure out styles you want to explore. (laughs) Mm.
0: Mm. Was this book very different to what you'd written before in terms of genre? No,
2: no, I don't think so. No. No. Um, I think, and especially the draft that I queried, Mm -hmm. um, I think, it was it was very similar to what i'd written before um and so when we talk about you know words making the page initially and whether they'll make the end i actually ended up cutting over 60,000 words um while working with my agent from the version that i queried to her of hold my girl and i oh, ended wow. up adding another 30,000 so uh yeah there was a lot and so i think i think the main difference maybe from my other books is there's a much stronger focus on structure and pacing perhaps that Mm -hmm. came through working with my agent who's very editorial um but the writing itself the style the voice I don't think that's very different Mm.
0: and how how was this one published how was it that you didn't self-publish and how was it that you got it published through traditional publishing media
2: so basically just querying it, um, finding an agent who wanted to take it on. Um, That's not easy, though. No. It? It, you know what? <laughs> it actually wasn't too bad. Oh, really? <laughs> I, totally. I feel bad saying that because, <laughs> you know, I expected. I did so much. And I think part of the reason, you know, obviously there's luck, obviously, obviously there's timing, but I did a lot of research. Um yeah. In, in finding out what agents are looking for and what's going to get them excited. Um, I took webinars. I signed up for courses. I mean, my query letter probably had over 30 versions um, before I got to the one that I was ready to query. And then for every agent I sent it out to, I, I no one was the same. I personalized it for every agent. Um, and so I had... Sent it out probably to around 20 or so agents um, when there's the Women's Fiction Writers Association. Are you familiar with that? So it's an association in the US, um, but I think it's open to members from everywhere and they have a pitch contest every year and agents come in and you get to write like an elevator pitch and then the first 500 words of your manuscript and they get to look at them all and then decide whether they'd like you to send you extra pages. And so to my great joy and excitement, um, I think I had nine people ask for requests. And I'm, that might have been the most in that round of the pitch contest. Um, and probably about eight of those asked for the full manuscript. And so I got an offer very quickly. Uh, I hadn't been out on submission for more than a month before I got an offer. Op- um through that. and I, and I think it wouldn't actually the really interesting thing is the first agent who offered me representation had uh, turned down my query that I had emailed to her three weeks earlier. What? And so, yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. she has an assistant. So I don't know. And I never ended up asking her, um, whether she had ever even seen my initial query or if my assistant just turned it down. And so my manuscript was 120,000 words, which is very long for, you know, what would probably be maybe under a women's fiction genre, like, unless you're Kristen Hannah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, for someone who essentially would be a debut, and they actually almost didn't allow me into the pitch competition because of that. 100,000 was supposed to be the cap. But the day I was in email conversation with the organizer of the competition, she had sent me an article from an agent who talked about this 100,000-word cap, and that same day, that agent asked for my full manuscript. Wow. So I was able to use that to get into the competition. So I mean, it was just amazing. And then from that, I let the other agents that I had queried know that I'd have an o- offer of representation. And so the agent I ended up going with, um, was someone who kind of jumped on it, um, based on that.
0: Yeah, well, wow.
2: congratulations. Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, it was mind blowing and a little out of the norm.
0: Yeah, but like yeah. you know, I mean, what I what I think people like to hear, and some particularly aspiring writers, that you say it's easy, but you know, there's a lot of work that you put behind it.
2: Well, yeah, that yeah, it, that happened quickly, but I had ten sorry nine novels behind me. Yeah, right. This wasn't yeah. the first. And you've I'd written been training 20. and honing my craft for years.
0: Yeah, and you'd written 12 personal letters or 20 personal letters. I mean, you know,
2: it's not easy. There's a process to no. it. yeah, Yeah, you know, and I don't mean to say it was easy. It's just that it was a lot yeah. quicker than I thought it would be.
0: Yeah, because it's expect, such
2: a... I expected to wait a year or more, you know? Yeah,
0: it's a compelling story. Congratulations, Charlene. We're oh, out of time. You. I have
2: enjoyed okay. our conversation <laughs> very much. Thank you so much for having me on.